How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Go roll. Can't fall off. Got a family support. Gotta make sure we succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me. I'm about to take off. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Knicks podcast. This is episode 111. I am your host, Jared Dubin. As I mentioned yesterday, this podcast will be a recap of last night's Knicks Thunder game recorded with Fred Katz late last night after he got home from the arena in Oklahoma City. Knicks obviously got off to uh, one of the hottest starts they've had all season, 39 points in the first quarter. Uh, did not work out so well for them throughout the rest of the game. Uh, I'll just get you to this podcast with me and Fred right now, uh, but we're going to have a couple more podcasts throughout the rest of the week. One talking about some all-star stuff, trade deadline stuff, and I'm going to try to get a draft podcast in at some point uh, during this all-star break as well because uh, that's something that's obviously of interest to a lot of people right now. But uh, in the interest of not wasting too much more of your time, here's the podcast with me and Fred Katz from the Norman Transcript and Lockdown Thunder. Enjoy. Hello there, everyone. Another crossover episode today, Locked on Thunder with Locked on Knicks. I'm Fred Katz following the Thunder's 116-105 win over the Knicks in Oklahoma City, and I'm joined by the same guy who I podcasted with yesterday, Jared Dubin. Jared, uh, what would you think of that one? Well, Fred, I'm planning on shooting 77% for the first quarter of this podcast and then shooting about 8% for the last three quarters of it. And uh, if you plan on doing the opposite, I think we'll have a pretty productive podcast here. (laughs) That first quarter, Mello was insane. Like Andre Robertson, Andre Robertson even talked about the game. Like he, he said, like he thought he did a great job on Anthony. Like I will, I'm I'm actually going to call up. His quote, because Andre was, I mean, he gave a ton of credit to Melo and talked about how he grew up watching Melo. And I think Melo is is one of his favorite players ever. Uh, but he said, where is this? I felt like I did an exceptional job contesting his shots. But when a scorer like that gets going, that's one of the reasons why he's one of the greatest players in this league. Like, they were all in his face. He hacked him on a three-pointer, which was bad defense, but made the shot real difficult. And it still went in. Melo just couldn't miss. Yeah, he started, I believe, seven for seven. Um I think six of six in the first quarter, and then he made his first shot of the second also. Um, and they were pretty much, I think, of those first seven shots, six of them were tightly contested jumpers. And he just made them. Like, I tweeted about it during the game. I was like, this is absurd contested shot making right now. Like, look, that's that's one of the things that makes Carmelo the caliber of offensive player that he is, is when he gets in one of those kind of rhythms. It's just impossible to stop. Like I talked to uh, Luol Dang a couple weeks ago when um, 
you know, when the Lakers were in New York and really nobody else was able to stop Melo during that game. Um, and Dang just got got contests on him. And for the most part, he didn't stop me there until uh, pretty, like, into the second half. But it's just, it's something, you know, he talked about it too. Like, he's been, go- obviously, Dang's been going to battle with Melo for years and years uh, in, sh- in Chicago before, you know, he's bounced around in the league the last couple seasons. But he's like, yeah, I mean, sometimes there's just nothing you can do. And that basically seemed like what it was like for Robertson in the first quarter. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because if you remember the last time they played, I forget what Melo shot. I think he finished with 18 points. He shot, he shot a really, really poor percentage. And uh, Robertson did a great job on him, just all in his face. And after that game, both, both Billy Donovan and Andre Robertson said, like, just because Andre guarded him well, like, this isn't always how it's going to go against a player like Carmelo. And they were really, really staunch about the fact that, like, Melo is going to make those shots. He's like, there are many times and many games where he's just going to make those shots. That's pretty much what happened, like, to the to the 20th degree in the first quarter. Like, he was, he was, he was, like, as hot as a player can be. I was surprised that he only took six or seven shots in the first quarter. I thought it was going to be one of those 10-shot quarters from him, and it wasn't quite that. Well, they were really moving the ball well throughout a lot of that first quarter. Um, and when he came back in in the second and especially in the third – they were doing much more of like the mid post ISO type stuff. And he was just trying to keep shooting over the top of Robertson. And, you know, he started seven for seven, he finished 11 for 20. So he was four for 13 throughout the rest of the game. Um, Obviously not what you're looking for. I mean, he still played really well. Six to seven from three is pretty darn good. Yeah. I think four of those were in the first quarter, maybe three or four, something like that. Yeah, he was not um he was not exactly the issue. I'm going to go ahead and say the Knicks defense was a large Yeah, well that's that's a big surprise. You know, we talked about it yesterday. It's right at the point of attack and you know Westbrook obviously did his thing 38 14 12. He was I mean on like another level. He, he became the third player ever to have two triple doubles against the Knicks in the same season. Uh Magic Johnson and Fat Lever. Uh, both did it in the same year in um, in eighty eight eighty nine I think it was they said during the game and and you know you saw the point of attack defense also Oladipo had one of his best games in a while um, he was super aggressive trying to get going uh, from the perimeter toward the basket and especially in the first half he did a really good job of it I think he had seventeen points at the half only had a, I think four in the second but that run they went on in the second quarter to cut into the lead and I think take the lead by halftime. A lot of that was spurred by him and Russ just attacking the basket relentlessly. I'll tell you the most impressive part of Oladipo's game, and this will kind of feed off of what you were saying before, but he was he was attacking the rim really aggressively, which is not a thing he really does, but he took 17 shots in this game. Every one of his shots was either, he didn't get to the line, but every one of his shots was either at the rim or from three. And he's been a guy who's been, I think, really he's been really prone to pulling up from mid-range, too prone to pulling up from mid-range. And he's a good mid-range shooter and he has good mid-range numbers and he's shooting well above league average on pull-ups, but that's not a great shot. And he's so athletic and he should be at the rim more. He should get to the line more than he does. Um, he, he should, you know, Russell Westbrook always talks about, and, and it is a cliche, but I, I don't think it's a cliche when you use it in the case of Oladipo, like he's got to be more aggressive going to the basket in general. Like that's the thing that he's got to be able to do. And uh, tonight he did 
did a really good job. I thought he had a really good offensive game. I, I did not think he was fantastic defensively. Um, he's normally he normally does a better job when when he gets to guard a guy who who's when he's on the ball a little bit more than when he's off. Uh, but I thought offensively he had one of his better games in a long while. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree. At least you know I don't watch Thunder every single game, but I, I tend to watch them a bunch. Russ is my guy, is my favorite player. Oladipo is one of my guys as well. Adams, I, I enjoy watching that team and. He definitely played better uh, in this game than I've seen in in quite a while. One of the best games he's had since he came back from his injury, I think. And, you know, a lot of it was just the, the Knicks defense, Rose and Lee and, and Holiday and Baker. Um, I thought all four of them had really, really bad defensive games and just did not stay in front of the dribble really at any point, let their guy get to pretty much any spot off the bounce. Uh, they did not get much help from from Hernan Gomez and O'Quinn. Uh, Porzingis, I thought, in the first half had some really good defense. Um, not quite as much in the second as he started struggling more and more with his shot. His defense kind of went by the wayside a little bit in the second half too. But early on in the game, he was playing some really good defense, especially in that first quarter as the Knicks were really getting going. But um, you know, for for pretty much all of the game. The uh, the point of attack defense, whether it was the guards or the bigs helping in the pick and roll, or just on the you know the gap drives, um, was pretty much non-existent. He was really good around the rim. Um, you know the Knicks did. The, the Knicks were interesting tonight because they had some plays where you looked at them and they were like, "That was a great job cutting off a guy at the rim." They did a you know Kylo Quinn had some great plays around the rim. Porzingis mm. had some really good plays around the rim. But the problem was, like, it's exactly what we talked about going into the podcast yesterday, right? Like, the point of attack. They had so – the Thunder had so many opportunities. Right, they had so many opportunities around the rim. They they were able to get there so easily that even all of those plays – like, once you're at the rim, you're not going to be able to make that great play all the time. And if you're able to maximize the amount of shots you're getting at the rim, it, it's so much more efficient than any other look that you're going to be able to get within the three-point line that – you're just you're gonna end up having an efficient offensive night, and in a lot of ways, that's what ended up happening, especially with Westbrook, who like this was. We have we you know we're ten minutes in, we haven't even really talked about what Russell did tonight. He was he was so good tonight. Yeah, it was. I mean, the Thunder had twenty five fast break points. They had twenty off of fifteen turnovers. Uh, I would say he was probably responsible for like 80% of those somewhere around. I mean, every time the ball changed hands one way or the other, he just put a ton of pressure on the defense. And look, the the thing the Knicks have struggled with the most all season is guys that put pressure on the defense coming downhill. And nobody in the league does that better than Russ. And you know, it's it sets up really well for him to have huge games, and he did it in both games against the Knicks. Uh, and I think in this one, he was even better than in the first game. You know, he had he had six turnovers. The Knicks got their hands on um, on a bunch of passes that he tried to force through. I think a couple times, but you know, he was in control of the game pretty much right from the jump, with the exception of the stretch where Melo was just knocking down every jumper. Um, Russ controlled the game for pretty much the other, you know, whatever it was, like the other 43 minutes. Um, he was he was awesome. You know, he was Russ. Yeah, he was so good. And, and one thing I think that was interesting, I asked Billy Donovan about it after the game. 
he's been using him the last couple of games, bringing him in at like the 930 marker uh, in the in the fourth and the second quarter. Got up to 38 minutes tonight. That's not really – that's like – Billy's been pretty consistently had him 35, 36. And getting him that extra minute a couple of times a game is something that I thought has been interesting. It's happened a few times recently, and Billy's been really particular not to say it. Billy, I asked Billy after the game. He specifically said, like, there's nothing to read into. It's just the way the game has worked out in terms of substitutions and stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, I mean, Billy's a very honest person with that stuff, and I don't I don't see why he would, you know, kind of throw that to the side. And I think that maybe, maybe that is the case. But, like, it's it never happened until about three games ago. And now leading into the All-Star break, Billy's kind of bleeding him for some – some extra minutes uh, over the bench, and I, I do think that is that is an interesting an interesting theme that he's had with Westbrook's minutes. Uh, but Russ was so good, uh, just getting getting to the line, um, and 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 also like even just kicking to guys like that three when the, when he hit two straight threes, and then he found Jeremy Grant for that three in the corner. He was so mm-hmm. good at at recognizing where the help was coming from tonight. I thought, which is something that. Sometimes, like, if he if he has, like, that's his biggest struggle. That's where he turns the ball over the most in terms of just recognizing exactly where the help is coming from at all given moments. Because when a defense collapses in on him, he'll often start to pass before he's actually looking at where he's passing to. He'll make, like, a rhythm pass. Then he'll realize as he's releasing it, like, oh, no, there's a guy there. And he'll end up turning it over. And tonight I thought he did, like, he obviously he had the six turnovers. He's always going to have turnovers. Uh, but... I thought he did a really good job tonight recognizing where the help was coming from and attacking that weak point. If, if anyone wants to see what Keith Westbrook looks like, just watch that second quarter. Um, he had in seven minutes, he had eight points and seven assists. Um, that was a effing clinic. Like uh, that was some of the best basketball you'll ever see him play in that second quarter. Um, and to end to end under control, just the the entire court was his playground and and making the right pass on time into the right spots, not forcing anything, putting pressure on the defense, and you know if it wasn't there, then running the offense that was as impressed as I've been with a stretch of his play in a long time so you think you think Ron Baker looks more like a uh, more like Billy Zapka or more like sixteen year old Zach Efron? Uh, I have said a couple of times this season that uh, he looks like a cast member from Everybody Wants Some. <laughs> You've seen that, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm aware of it. I uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. His his hair like movie. his hair really really lends itself to to some jokes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And um, you know, I th- I thought Van Gundy made a good point when um, so. You um you were at the game, so you didn't hear the the ESPN broadcast. They did like their um, crossover broadcast. So it was uh, Ryan Rucco, Van Gundy, and, and Dan Dakich. Uh, Dakich basically spent the entire game just asking Van Gundy questions about the NBA, which was strange. But one of them was basically like, "Why doesn't Ron Baker play more?" And Van Gundy was like, "You know, he looks like a better shooter than he actually is." And he looks like a better defender than he actually is. And I that that was uh, a really good point because that's something that Knicks fans have, have wondered throughout. And, you know, he comes in at these times 
um, in blowouts and looks okay. But the, the few times he's gotten extended minutes, I thought he's really been exposed defensively. That was something that happened tonight as well. You know, he, he did make his uh, catch and shoot corner three without having to bring the ball down, which was a, a really nice play. But for the most part, he, um, I think, has gotten exposed in, in longer minutes, and that happened in this game also, I thought. Um, you know, I, I know we're not going quite as long on this one, so I do want to get to Porzingis um, before we go. You know, he, you know, about it earlier, his defense was really good in the first half. His defense was good around the basket. Um, there were a couple of times he got lost defensively, whether Grant or LeBurn on the perimeter. Um, those guys, I think, each hit a three when he was just, like, too far away from them a little bit. Um, but he was very uninvolved in the offense uh, for a lot of the game. Wound up with 13 shots compared to, you know, 20 for Carmelo, 21 for Rose, 13 for Lee. Um, this is something that happens with him a bunch. I mean, it's it's not ideal, obviously. Um, you know, something I said on Twitter toward the end of the game was that, you know, he's very rarely put in position to succeed because of the way their offense runs. You know, not just the style of the offense, but who it runs through. But it's also like you would like to see him succeed anyway, despite the fact that he's not put in to succeed, put in position to succeed more than like. Um, there are some star players that aren't necessarily put in position to succeed, but they manage to do it anyway on a regular basis. Um, there are times when he manages to do it anyway. It, it would just be nice if those times were more regular, I guess, is, uh, is where I'm going with it. I mean, late in the game, and, it, it, and this is not, I'm not the first person to say this, there are a lot of moments where Rose or or I don't think Anthony, he took a shot. In the fourth quarter, no, I, I don't think he did, and those two kind of kind of freeze him out late, right? Yeah, I mean, look, that's it's definitely something that has happened throughout the year. Um, early in the season, um, you know, Carmelo was hitting a ton of shots to close out games. Rose as well, um, not quite as much for either one of them lately. Uh, but either way, like even if they're hitting their shots there. Like, that doesn't mean that he should never touch the ball or never be involved in the direct action of the play. Like, if he's the guy setting a screen rather than just standing on the other side of the perimeter, you know, waiting for a possible kickout, then maybe, you know, Rose has a cleaner lane to the basket or Carmelo gets more open for his pull-up jumper. Or, you know, maybe two defenders go with Rose or Carmelo and Chris Evans winds up wide open and gets to take that shot. Uh, it would just be nice if he was more intimately involved, uh, you know, especially down the stretch, but also just during the game in general. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the problems with problem is a wrong word. Um, one of Ish. the one of the effects. It's just one of the effects of when you have a young big man instead of a young guard, right? Like this kind of stuff tends to happen with young big men uh, because a twenty-one-year-old, a twenty-year-old, a twenty-two-year-old. They're not going to say to someone of Carmelo Anthony's or even Derrick Rose's stature, give me the ball, I need the ball. And if the, uh, the ball is not going to naturally fall into their hands within the offense, which happens with guards and happens with wings and doesn't always happen with big men, especially when you have ball-dominant guards and wings before them in the pecking order, like that tends to happen because a guy like that is just naturally not going to demand the ball. And Christoph Porzingis is very far from the first big man to have this kind of thing happen on a similarly comprised team. And he's not going to be the last because bigs don't naturally get the ball in a lot of these situations. You have to, 
you have to work them the ball or they have to figure out ways to really to really get themselves the ball and get themselves looks and and that's that's hard to do from a personality standpoint from a strategic standpoint when you're talking about a 21 year old like Porzingis that was um that was one of the things that was so nice about him showing the ability to create for himself early on in the season um when he was really going well at the start of the year you know that was that was huge because a lot of the time a player like that does need somebody else to create his looks for him. Since he's come back from his injury, um, he has not been nearly as good at his own look. And that's, I think, a lot of the reason why he's struggled to be involved since then is because he's much more dependent now on on somebody else to, to get him involved as opposed to being able to do some of the work by himself, um, which was you know, a lot of the reason he got off to such a good start to the season. Yeah. Uh, anything, uh, anything else before we, uh, before we start to wrap up? Yeah. I mean, so obviously both teams, this was their last game before the trade deadline. Um, and you know, all-star break trade deadline. Carmelo now is, uh, going back to the all-star game. Russ obviously will be there as well. Um, do you expect uh, a trade from either side? I, I expect Sam Presti to be really aggressive on the phones in the next week. Deadline is a week from today. Now, February 23rd, I expect Sam Presti to be really aggressive for certain. Uh, I don't know what his opinion of the market is going to be. I think he's going to be trying to get some kind of shooter. Uh, but I think it's going to be one of those situations where Presti is not necessarily looking to say like, okay, this is a flawed roster. Let's make it better and see if this can go from 46-win team to 49-win team. I don't think that's necessarily what his approach is going to be. I don't think he's necessarily a buyer or a seller. I think he's just going to be looking to try to find value. And if he thinks he finds a market inefficiency somewhere or he thinks he finds a player who's undervalued by his team and he can bring him in and, and get him for what he deems to be a good value, like similar to the Jeremy Grant trade, that was just about like... He thought that Philly undervalued him in a deal, and he wanted to get good value. And that was all it was. And I think if he can pull off a trade like that, I think he'll do it. So, like, I think if he can bring in if he can bring in a shooter or something like that, he'd obviously love to do that. But, like, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if they brought in a guy and people were like, where does this guy fit on this team? He doesn't shoot. He doesn't do something else. You know, I, I, I would not be – I'm not saying that's certainly going to happen. I just wouldn't be shocked by that because I think Presti's number one – uh, number one priority going into the deadline is just going to be where can he pick up value uh, for the team moving forward, and then maybe the bigger changes come, uh, you know, this summer. Yeah. Um, so the the one thing I was going to say that they probably need, you know, we talked about it yesterday. They're one of the worst outside shooting teams in the league. So is is shooting? Um, somebody asked me earlier on Twitter, like, do you think the Knicks could get a first round pick for Courtney Lee? And I was like, I mean, maybe like, uh, you know, Kyle Korver got a first round pick, but that was from Cleveland and it's, you know, deep into the future. So it's a little bit different. But then I went looking for teams that could use a player like Courtney Lee. And, you know, I think OKC is one of them, but I don't think that they're going to be too thrilled about adding long term salary because this is going to be one of the last years they're going to be able to add guys uh, in the off season, if they, you know, because they haven't signed Old Depot to an extension yet. No, they signed Old Depot to an extension. Oh, they did. Oh, right, they did sign Old Depot. Four for eighty four. Right. Uh, uh, he's not on um, a low money extension. I was thinking so. 
Yeah, no, way, the, the I, difference the difference with adding someone like Lee, you know, what was he four for fifty, Courtney Lee? Uh, four for fifty two. Four for fifty two. Uh, I have not done the math on that specifically, but that's going to push them real close to the luxury tax. Right. That's you know I don't think uh, that, I don't know if that pushes them over per se, but it'll push them close for sure. And yeah, I don't know if they want to go into the luxury tax for that. Yeah. Now, obviously, they're giving up salary and a deal for that too. So maybe. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't, depending on who they would give up in that particular scenario or something. Uh, but there's a scenario they acquire a guy who makes that amount of money, where you know next year or the year after that, you could put him into the luxury tax. And you know, historically, this is not an organization that has gone into the luxury tax uh, for a team that is not a championship caliber one. So I, I don't know if I would necessarily predict them to make a move like that. Yeah. No. I, I don't think they would either. It was just one of the teams that jumped out at me as mm-hmm. a potential fit because of you know the specific skill set. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean he he from he from purely a basketball perspective makes sense. He's having a good year. Yeah, I mean he's doing. I've said this. I feel like a hundred times in the podcast, but the Knicks signed him to do a certain thing, which was to be a low usage, high efficiency three and D man that can guard multiple positions. And he has been exactly what they thought he would be on both sides of the floor. Mm-hmm. No, he's been good. Every time I watch the Knicks, I'm like, Courtney Lee played well tonight. Yeah, I mean, there have been a few games where he hasn't been good, whether it's not shooting well. You know, tonight I thought, like, he had a pretty good offensive game. His defense was really bad in this one, though. Uh, but for the most part, he has been a good defender throughout the year. And um, and he's been, you know, lights out three-point shooter, one of his best three-point shooting seasons of his career. And, and that, uh, that's a guy who I think is a 39% shooter for his, his career. And, you know, other than one season early on with the Nets, I don't think has ever shot worse than like 37%. And and this year, yeah, 39 for his career, career low of 37-1 other than, you know, his second year in the NBA with the Nets. And he's shooting career high, 42% from three this season so he's he's again he's doing exactly what they got him to do so that's nice yeah uh anything else you got no that's it um you know check out the podcast itunes audio boom everywhere else uh at locked on nicks on twitter at ja dubin five on twitter locked on nicks at gmail.com you know good stuff and um you can find my work wherever wherever that's a good place uh, I'm uh, at Fred Katz on Twitter. Uh, locked on Thunder at gmail.com. Find my work on normantranscript.com. Go to my blog, Thunder Road. It's under the sports tab on the site. You can see it there. Uh, Jared, thanks for coming on. Back, back-to-back podcast. You sick of me yet? Yeah, well, you know, we're friends. So. <laughs> I, I, I'm, well, I'm glad, I'm glad we're still friends after this. I gave a 77% effort on this podcast. For, uh, for the first quarter of it. For the first quarter. After that, um, we'll let the people decide what kind of effort I gave after that. There we go. That's good enough. It's late. All right. (laughs) Good night.